Welcome inside episode 99 of Breaking Bats presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers and I'm joined once again by the man himself, Ryan Ripkin. Uh, Ryan, this is the last new episode of 2023. Next week is the best of, uh, but it's a big deal. We've done a lot of stuff this year. It's been a big, big year for the pod. Thanks as always for coming on. How are you? I'm good. I mean, where the hell did 2023 go, by the way, right? I, I honestly felt like I was trying to set New Year's resolutions, you know, last month. And uh, no, really, it was in about, you know, two weeks from now, essentially. It's even less than that now, right? It's like December 19th. Wow. The year's closing. It's been a fun year, though, right? A lot of great things. Um, and it's always been fun to work with you, Justin. So, you know, can never complain about, well, I can comp complain about all this stuff with you, but but not on the pod. <laughs> uh, if we're getting close to the time where, like, we're, we're going to see that, like, countdown to, like, pitchers and catchers. Um, my one of my favorite websites, Baseball Savant, has this counter on their homepage, and we're taping this on Tuesday, and there's 65 days until spring training games. So, 65? Woo! Yeah, that's it. We're almost Man. there. It's nuts. And honestly, as a player, once the new year hit, everything felt like it just was there in a, in a second. You know, so that was – I just saw some of uh, my former teammates, and they're gearing up for spring training right now. And they and the, they they reminded me. I go, hey, you excited about the season? I go, oh yeah, you know. But I know once January once one hits, the the off season's gonna come and go just like that. So, but as a baseball fan, you kidding me? We need it back, Justin. We need it back. It's kind of a lull in like the the free agency market, which we'll talk about. But there's just like I don't know. There hasn't been that much news trickling out. Like I feel like we had a little bit. We had the winter meetings. Had a couple things. The Otani thing, I feel like, is still populating a lot of baseball news right now. It's just like reactions and all that. But yeah, I, wa I wanted some more action. But we have a couple things to talk about this week. Uh, and we also have an interview with uh, one of your pals, Gavin Sheets, which we'll also talk about at the end there. Um, big, big episode. We're going to close 23 off right. Uh, but before we get to all of that, really quick, two quick apparel sponsors, two quick shout outs, zero negative. It's a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They uh, promote positivity and mindfulness and everything they do. Check them out, zeronegative.com. And last but not least, the GOAT Fuel Will Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's They're out of Philadelphia. Uh, one of my favorite workout shirts of all time. Check them out, fuelhunt.com. You will not regret it. All right. Uh, so in Birdland, I wanted to start in Birdland because we did have some news. Uh, the state of Maryland and the Orioles have agreed to a new lease. 15 more years at Oriole Park at least. But if they can agree to develop some land around it within four years, that could be pushed up to 30 um, Ryan, I don't think anybody in Birdland thought that we wouldn't get this deal done. It's nice to have it. Uh, my question for you though, is, uh, there's some like wish lists and like development plans floating around. What should be at the top of the wish list for redevelopment and stuff coming to Oriole park for you? You know what? I I've been thinking about that first off. Yeah. I never thought the Orioles were leaving Baltimore. Right. And we've talked about this, Justin, both on the pod privately, Camden Yards is was the stadium that set the standard for future stadiums, right? First and foremost, MLB loves the Orioles in Baltimore. And quite frankly, if you want to go back, the Baltimore Orioles really are deep rooted in the community. Because when you think about it, you know, the Baltimore Colts at the time, the football team left in the middle of the night. And that really stung Baltimore fans. And so the Orioles are is kind of like, I'm not gonna say it's their the the their baby, but it's the one team where it's extremely, extremely deep rooted. 
And to see it all done is great. Now, as far as the development goes, I don't really know exactly. And maybe this is why this contingency plan over the next 15 years, right? It's 15 years. And if the Orioles and are happy with where the deal's going with the state, then they'll opt in for the 30 years. I think just the development-wise, personally, I just think it's just about an overall experience. I don't want it to change too much, to be honest. And that's why I don't really have an answer for you, Justin. I just think the biggest thing, and that's this is what drives the game, is the fan experience. I just want the people that come to Camden Yards and be around there really get to enjoy their time. Because at the end of the day, without the fans watching the game, it just doesn't have the same meaning. I think there's definitely ways to modernize it because there's some parts when you go to Orioles games and you're like, damn, this is like kind of outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I feel like there's really big opportunities to take, first off, the, the left field upper deck. Like, I think most games, they don't allow fans to sit up there. They don't sell tickets no. for them. Um, it's only like weekend or like primetime games. They open it up for fans. Uh, I think they should probably cut that in half or even just take most of them out. Um I went to a Rangers game this year and at Globe Life they have in the upper deck in the left field they have like a brewery. It's like the sky porch. They have rocking chairs. They like took half the seats out basically and just put a whole like bar area up there. I think around the stadium if they did more things like that to just like improve the fan experience just like social hangouts, like bars, restaurants, like I think that would be nice and also maybe just like the concourses could be cleaned up a little bit too. But yeah. uh those are all nice to haves. Yeah, nice to have. But, you know, they did uh, one of the, the hot spots there at Camden Yards is that bar in center field. And actually, my one of my really good friends, his mom was the the, the uh, architect for all that. I mean, that's a great fan experience, right? That makes the place buzz. To your point, clean it up a little bit. Maybe add some flares that can then enhance the experience. I know at M&T Bank Stadium, the Ravens just announced that they're going to add some new renovations and seeing like you know almost like a beer hall i believe or places where people to watch i think they can get creative uh but you know man even without it it's just such a great place to go watch a game you know it's just i know we're biased justin but i mean it's it really is a special park to go to and um for me if they make zero changes that's fine by me but i'm excited to see what the new the new look oriole park is going to be the ballpark that forever changed baseball i think is the what they call it yeah because right it first came out it was just like it, it they got rid of those old multi-use like giant oval stadiums and it's like camden yards had passion it had flair it had charisma and it was just like it was awesome so uh yeah i, I think there's there's definitely little things they can do but as a whole still awesome um i'm excited i'm excited for everything the ravens also looks incredible they're gonna add like stuff out front there's like a whole like concourse outside their building like that's gonna be the coolest thing across the street yeah i mean the the that's the really cool part of it and i think that's why when people talk about the orioles and they're looking at well wait a minute or, or say fans of of the baltimore teams are going wait a minute the ravens are, are doing all this you know what how can the orioles counter what are they going to do i look at it this way to be honest we the, those things are nice right they're great you know what the most important thing justin is the product on the field and right now for the next decade and a half guaranteed fans know the baltimore orioles are going to be in baltimore they never were leaving but it's just reaffirming and and i will say this justin too it's something where it's like you know the answer but you need to be reassured you have that anxiety 
They're like, no, I know. Like, no, everything's fine. But can you just, can you tell me it's fine again one more time? But they, until the final deal was, you know, put out there, people always had that doubt. And I do think it goes back to the Baltimore Colts, by the way. I do think that is something that resonates with, with Oriole fans. I mean, or Baltimore sports fans. I mean, how could it not? But the product for the Orioles, they are entering a window that they could have the best baseball that Oriole fans have probably seen since, I don't know, since they won the World Series, Justin. We had a five-year stretch with when, I believe, from 2012 to 2017 where the team, there was belief that they could go out there and play, right? That things could turn out. There was expectations going into the season. Other than that, it's kind of been a rough go. A couple of years in 96, 97, where the Orioles were buzzing. 95, people liked, you know, apparently there was a long guy played a lot of games in a row. But other than that, it was it was not a lot for the for the fans to really be excited with year in, year out. And the Orioles right now looks like for this next decade and a half, man, it could be a really, really exciting group, especially with the young core they have. Said I better myself. Yeah, you're right. I, w- I, want, I want to see some long-term sustained success. You're right, because we, we did have that the most wins in the American League from 12 to 16, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that that evaporated very quickly, and it turned very bad. Oh, um, very quickly. But they, but they did have the expectations in 17, because I was even in spring training for that, and it was, boy, the team's going to, you know, still there's a belief, and then things just fell off a cliff really quickly. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's how it goes. But we want more than just four years, Justin. We don't want more than that. Um, and I think, I think no matter what happens, if the team goes out and plays and balls, no one else, everyone else isn't going to care what they add to the stadium. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean the Oakland A's played in the Coliseum for all those years, and they were good up until like a couple of years ago. And that place was there was like raccoons living in the air vents and stuff. It was not. Oh, it was not a very good. That a is a good place to play. You know what? Playoff time, Oakland can be buzzing. Overall experience of the stadium, probably not a a fan favorite. No. Or or a team favorite, <laughs> to say the least. That's a good point. Um, I wanted to talk, though, because I listened to Ken Rosenthal, and he was talking about how uh, – I think there's an article in The Athletic about this, and he said that out of the top, the top 40 free agents available at the beginning of the offseason, only 13 of them have signed. And, you know, today's December, December 19th, 20th, when you're listening, like – there's still a lot of great talent out there on the free agency market. You're hearing Yamamoto's name every single day. If you're going on Twitter, Snell, Bellinger, Montgomery, et cetera. Does this offseason feel any different to you in terms of how slow it's gone? I feel like this might just be par for the course in terms of dudes waiting until like February. Yeah, I mean, baseball is not like the NFL where it's free agency where they say the date's going to – the free agency starts on this day, but deals are being made you know, 24 hours prior to the deadline. It's like sources say this player signs and then it happens and it's just a whirlwind, right? And then it slows down for a while. Baseball is the opposite because a lot of teams or players are looking at their options, seeing what's going to transpire. And in this specific case, Justin, everyone is eyed in on what the hell is Yamamoto going to do? That's really where this dives in because I think that, even if teams are not necessarily in on uh, Yamamoto and they are looking for other players, well, guess what? You know, like a guy like Blake Snell, right? You know, you're going to tell me if the Yankees or one of these other teams don't get this the prized 
pitcher uh, of the offseason that they're not going to be interested or Dylan Cease. I think the White Sox, their fans hate this, but pitchers are doing exactly what pitchers and organizations, sorry, back it up. Free agents and organizations are doing exactly what they're hoping to do, which is wait it out and see how much value they can get. Not the best for fans, though, Justin. I know you you like action. You like it just the stove is scorching hot. I know you. Uh, yeah, it's and that's why you're right. Like the NFL and the NBA, especially like, oh, my God, during like July or whenever NBA free agency opens up, it is the craziest firestorm of woge bombs and everybody's freaking out like. There's a part of me that kind of like that for baseball, but I also I, I appreciate the the slow, you know, drawn out approach of the hot stove because like you got to keep that stove on for like three months straight, right? So you, you got to have enough, you got to have enough juice to keep it going for a little bit longer than NBA and NFL. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Different than with basketball or football, the amount of hot stove topics that just come out of nowhere. Just and, and it's all and it's the same thing over time. Sources are saying that this player might be interested in this team, or this team's in, you know, per source, source here, source there. And then really now it's until Jeff Passan tweets it out that to me, I don't believe anything that happens. But everyone's speculation, Randy Arozarena with that tweet of Otani, whatever it was with the Tampa Bay Rays. Did you remember that? Did you see that? I saw Randy was in trade rumors. Did Randy himself do something? I thought he, I thought he, he posted a photo, either on Instagram or so, tw- Twitter, one of the social medias, of him and Otani, and everyone's like, "Oh my, oh my God, Randy's going to the Dodgers with Glass now!" Like it's happening, and then obviously it didn't. But it's the speculation that just drives people insane. Like the Yankees apparently using Matsui for Yamamoto, or that the Dodgers are bringing everybody that is anybody to their meetings. I mean, and then everyone loses their mind. So I guess that part's entertaining, right? I hate the part where it's like <laughs> one player is holding up the entire market. That always makes yeah. me like, we're all just waiting to see where Otani goes and then Otani goes to the Dodgers. It's like, all right, well, we're, we're all waiting to see where Yamamoto goes. It's like, can, can we stop having these guys single-handedly just like put the clamps on MLB free agency, waiting for them to figure out a team? Yeah, you know the other one that the name that we haven't mentioned so far in this, and usually, you know, pitchers, they're so important, right? I mean, starting pitching uh, is something that people are going to chase after. But I really want to see what happens with Cody Bellinger, Justin. I am just – that is the one that I've just been staring at and looking at because he he had such a great bounce-back year, and you know he wants to get paid. But what do you do? Where does he go? Like that, that, like, and that's what you're to your point. Like, I want to see these moves uh, move forward. But we have seen in the past deals whether players, certain players, hold up the dead or the uh, off season or not. Players aren't afraid now, and their agents aren't afraid to let this go closer and closer to spring training. They aren't. It's a different day and age, and. Um, Maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and get a holiday gift with some of these moves. But my other guess would be is don't hold your breath until 2024. That's got to be stressful for guys with families, though. Like, oh, no doubt. Trying to figure out like where, hey, hey, we're going to have to move and the kids are going to have to change schools. And it's like, 
I mean, for, I guess if you're like a young guy in like your 20s, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I mean, like Harper and Harper like went, took until February and Machado took until like February. And like some of these guys are waiting until the very like guy, like the bus goes already going down to Florida with the bags and stuff. And it's like, oh, by the way, he's coming with us. Like, that's not my favorite thing in the world. Well, but, you know, that's a hard thing for when you're trying to figure out your roster, too. Right. It's because, you know, maybe you have certain plans. But then you can't rely. What what if you miss out? And and I know that we've heard that some of these bigger teams, like the reports, the Yankees are still going to be aggressive for somebody if they don't get Yamamoto. Uh, the Orioles are still looking to be aggressive. There's there's names that could be out there, right? But overall, when you have a you know you're really banking on something. Imagine then for some of these players that are just going into camp two, they don't know their status. You know, then you're sitting there. They're, they got to go do their jobs. And then as the, the front office, the GM, they're looking at it going, well, this could change a lot of what our, our team could look like in in a matter of, you know, in the snap of a finger. So, and for families, though, it, you're you're just going along for the ride. It, it really, it, it is what it is. Like, you have to go with the flow with it. Now, at least you can, you know, if you're an established player and you're getting that type of contract, Justin, Life's pretty good in that case, in the sense that you're going to have some stability and you can have a place in the off season and know that everyone's taken care of. But other guys, yeah, it's you know, you're just going with the flow, and uh, hopefully you, you can keep your emotions in check. Um, that's the other part with contracts too, Justin. This is the time, whether it's arbitration to free agency, these are tough conversations, and and for free agency specifically. You are trying to be the best damn salesman to these guys. How can you be that? And that is a role that's exhausting. I don't, I don't envy that at all. But also, you're trying to prove to the guy that, hey, come, you know, it's, it's the it's like when you go to a car dealership. Why is my car the best? I'll tell you why my car is the best. It's like the Yankees, let me explain to you why we're the best. The Dodgers, you want to come here because it's exhausting, man. That's a great point. That's got that's got to suck for bottom of the roster guys fighting to stay on a team, and it's like, oh my god, they just signed somebody to come take my job, or I have to have a competition now where I thought I was the the number one guy. I thought I had this this thing locked up, and oh good, now I have to fight all spring to make the team. That sucks. Okay, uh, yeah, there's a lot a lot that goes into that. I don't, you don't really think about that as a fan, uh, but yeah, if you're a player right now, you're just you're I you have to be yeah. You don't have to have like MLB Network on all day, but I feel like you have to kind of be in the know of like, is there somebody coming to take my job? You know, that's a part we all do it right every every single time. That I remember even in the in the minors when the draft happened, and you're sitting there going, "Does someone get drafted in my position? Are they going to release certain guys?" Or if you know your team's selling, back to that when the Orioles were selling the farm, a lot of a lot of prospects were coming in. That messes with guys. The reality is the 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 standard answer is yeah you just got to control what you can control. But deep down you're like damn, you know I got to go I got to go out and ball I got to go out and play and I can only control what I can control. But that's not what I was expecting. That wasn't on my bingo card last week, and now it is. So the the, the whole process and I think I've grown more of an appreciation or an understanding of it all. Because this sports business world, and in, in, in the blink of an eye, things can change just like that. It's great to play for a living, but nothing can surprise. 
there's nothing that's happened or that has happened in the last few years that surprises me anymore. Great point. Uh, I wanted to shift gears. I want to talk about a team that you wouldn't necessarily think would be off-season spenders and wouldn't be fueling the hot stove as much as they have been this off-season. But the Kansas City Royals have been balling out. The checkbook has been wide open in Kansas City. They So this is a team last year that had 56 wins and a bottom-five payroll. But in the course of like two weeks this offseason, they've added $105 million total to their payroll, and they've spent more than like, they have the fifth most offseason spending thus far. A lot of teams have zero, which is another issue. Um, what When you saw the Royals spending money on guys like Waka, Lugo, and Renfro, and, and, all, and Will Smith, like what, what, what did you think about all that? And what does that tell you about how they view the competitiveness of the AL Central? I think, that's a, I think that they believe there's a window. You know, the, the Twins had a great year, but can it be sustainable? When you look at the rest of the division, what are you going to do? You know, like what team right there are you looking at that you can't go out and play? And a lot of these teams are at a crossroad, and we'll read them off. So Minnesota won the division, right? Could they bounce back? But Minnesota has been kind of up and down over the last few years, right? Cleveland's in a new era. They really are. What are they going to do? Are they going to be this team that's still going to be rebuilding? It seemed like two years ago. They were going to be this resurging uh, or they were going to be a surging team. And then this past year happened and now you're scratching your head. The Detroit Tigers did exactly kind of what the Royals are doing. They were aggressive because they thought the window was there. And then you have the White Sox, which, I mean, look, if you had said that they they would be at a crossroads um, now, if you said that two years ago, they'd be in a crossroads going into the 2024 season, they'd probably laugh. But they cleaned house and now they're stuck with, well, what are we going to do with the roster that we have? And so, yeah, Kansas City might have made people, you know, question what the hell are you doing? Your team was so bad last year. But to them, they're thinking, well, we think we're, we can just get a little bit better here and a little bit better there. This AL Central could be up for grabs. And hell, you love a good spending spree, Justin. Um, I, I bet the Royals fans are, are excited that their team is going to try to make more of an effort in the 2024 season. I just think it sends a great message. It's it, like the Royals haven't had a winning season since 2015. There's been a lot of losing, but you look at their roster and you're like, I don't know. Like, could just, they added up, they added pitching, obviously Lugo and Waka and Stratton and like some like middle of the rotation guys, but can eat innings and it'll probably be pretty productive. And it's like, they have some offense now. They got Renfro. They have still have Sal Perez. You're like, who? Why not? I think the Royals are just looking at themselves, saying, "Hey, why, why not us?" In a division that you just talked about, where the you know the Twins are cutting back and the Tigers are still figuring it out, and you know there's a lot of mediocrity at best in this division. Like, hell, who's to say we can't be a, a third wild card team, win 80 games, or even win the division? Like, I don't know. And also, I just think that like for everybody who's a fan of a team that hasn't spent any money or is a small market team, it's like it's. The money's there if they want it. Like mm-hmm. the Pirates are spending a little bit. The Royals are spending a little bit. Like it doesn't matter what market size or, you know, how many people live in your area. Like if the, if the Kansas City Royals who had like a bad record last year can spend money, anybody can. Yeah. Well, the other, other name that you didn't mention as well is Bobby Wood Jr. I mean, the dude is a stud. And I know a lot of people were sitting there going, well, What's going on? And, and maybe when he got off to a little bit of a slower start, or just because the Kansas City Royals haven't been good, that his superstardom is diminished. He's he is. I think he's a superstar, and I think he's going to become a household name for a lot of teams or a lot of fans very soon. 
He's 23 years old. He just had a season where he just came off hitting 30 jacks. In his rookie year, he had 20. And he plays a premier position. And not only that, with the 30 jacks, too, he's driving in runs. 96 RBIs. He uh, slugged almost 500 just shy of it, actually. So you're talking about a player, a foundational piece that's there. Bobby Wood Jr. is really going to be the star that that baseball fans, if you love baseball, you need to watch him next year. No doubt about it. And I'm with you. I think for fans, you want to just have a glimmer of hope. But in, for this case, though, because the Royals farm system, what they've done hasn't has underwhelmed. I think it's safe to say. I think that they, for the troubles that they have, the, the, the reason why I'm saying underwhelmed, it's no knock to the players itself. It's that, that the Royals are in the same position that they've been in since they, you know, were a World Series contender, you know, or sorry, after that point. So I think it's a great message. And, uh, I just hope that they don't get 56 wins this year. Please, please don't, because if not, then oh, that'll be another miserable year in Kansas City. Yeah. Also, they should just bring Zach Greinke back. He wants to pitch again. There's no reason not to. I know he had a five-year-a last year, but you, you got to bring Zach back. He's the heart and soul of the team, even though he doesn't really talk that much. Hey, you know, he's he is one of a kind. And he has been a gem to have around. But I guess we'll find out. It's, I just want to – you know what, Justin? We saw a lot of great, you know, outcomes out of this 2023 season. We saw the Diamondbacks, re, you know, have this resurgence. We saw the Baltimore Orioles also be back in the mix, be the number one seed. Obviously, Diamondbacks go to the World Series. Can we get another team like the Kansas City Royals? And then can we get the Pittsburgh Pirates? Like, this is what would be great for the game. And I think that's what I get excited about is of the AL Central, if you say any of those teams were going to be in the hunt, I'd be fired up because I just think that overall would be so much better for the game of baseball and not just one team dominating over and over again, which honestly, when I look at it, I guess it's right. The Central's just been this revolving door over and over again recently. So we'll see. Should be fun, but that's what we want. Bring Good back game. these teams. Yeah, bring them back. Come on. I like it. Let, let's let's stick in the, in the central and let's preview uh, the interview I did this week with your pal, Gavin Sheets, Chicago White Sox own. Um, it was awesome. I, I had Gavin for an hour. We talked a little bit about you at the beginning, though. Mm. Uh, Gavin says that, I was like, what, what was it like, you know, growing up with Rip, going to high school with him? He's like, guy was never on time. Guy That's was true. late. He said he was. He said he would look out the window and it'd be like halfway through the class period, and then you'd come walking in. <laughs> so, uh, can't can't cannot deny that claim. I yes, there was. Uh, I think I hold the lateness record all time at, at my school at, at Gilman, no doubt about it. I granted, I always had trouble sleeping growing up. But I think it was more of, you know, I was just trying to be an entertainer at that point, Justin, right? You know, like I knew Gavin was watching and, you know, I know that he really didn't like first period. So I thought I was maybe doing him a favor. Um, I'm surprised you had a good conversation with him because sometimes I think he's the worst. Just kidding. He, as you know, and for the listeners out there, he's one of my best friends. Uh, I've known him for, for too long. And um, I'm glad you guys had a colorful conversation. He really is one of the most entertaining guys, understands the game extremely well, and above all, likes to enjoy 
talking about the game and spreading, uh, you know, positivity with it. it he's don't like to. I don't like to compliment him much because you know what are what are what are best friends for. But as I usually always say, Justin, he, he's a good kid. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things is when you call somebody a good kid. Um, yeah, he's just like I appreciated how open he was about stuff. It's just like the playing the game, growing up, the struggles of like you know growing up with his dad, who's also a big league player, and coming up through the minors and coming up in the the White Sox twenty one season when they were going to the playoffs and just like. I don't know. He's, he's gone through a lot. And he also like he's a Maryland guy. We're the same age. So I was like, this, I mean, this is it. This is, this is, this is our guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's a good kid. You know, on the other part too, what I loved is that despite all the bloodlines of it, you know, how he handled himself and now they're a powerhouse, you know, Wake Forest is, but when he went there, they weren't. And to see the kind of evolution of it. And he was a guy that, put in a lot of work and, and a lot of effort to get to where he is. And that whole 2021 season, because we got to play against each other in AAA, and to see him be able to live out the dream, being in the bigs, and they get to play in the postseason, hit a home run in the postseason. Like, it's just it's incredible. Not going to spoil anything because you guys talked about a lot, but uh, I'm glad I'm glad you finally got him on the pod. And, um, yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Last, last, last thing. Uh, he said when you guys were in AAA together and he would get on first base with you, he said you guys were just like fucking around the entire time. <laughs> oh, all the time. All the time. Did, I'm surprised. Did he tell you about the time where he fell into the dugout? Did he mention no. that one? Oh, <laughs> no. man. Maybe we – he uh, we were in Norfolk and there I was uh, on the – I wasn't playing that game and I was jawing at him from the, from the dugout in Norfolk has like a 10 foot fall. It's not, it's not like you come right out of the stairs. You have to go up a slant. It's, it's, I guess it's an older stadium, but Gavin kept saying, Oh, I'm going to uh Superman and make a great play here. I go, if you Superman, I am not going to catch you because there it's barriers to even get around. And sure enough though, Gavin comes over the railings too small though, for a guy, his size, he makes the catch flips lands right on the concrete and i just sit there and my teammates heard it all like this conversation too and i'm like oh holy shirts and pants and i'm like please be okay and then guys are like geez rip like you're not gonna help your boy and they're like they're joking i'm like i actually would have tried to catch him but i literally couldn't get there and i'm like this is the worst this is my worst nightmare but i'm like playing it off in my head i'm like gavin you're fine like suck it up like you're good it almost feel it almost felt like it was like from the wedding crashers where the where Vince Vaughn gets the absolute shit kicked out of him by um uh, uh why am I blanking on it? Uh sack. Yeah. Well, just getting sacked playing football, and then Owen or Vince Vaughn's like, I hate you. That's how I felt Gavin <laughs> felt about me to, to Owen Wilson. Like, I hate you if I had any air in my lungs. But needless to say, he was good. Uh uh, I that that if he was actually hurt, it would have mortified me. It was, but yeah, he, he ended up you know being fine. He sucked it up, put some ice on it, and went to the big league. So all's good. I'm surprised he didn't bring that up because he likes to just blame me for that all the time. No, but so he, he popped right back up, or did he kind of just like that? That sucks. Like you flip over a rail oh, and you fall on no. like your ass. 
Oh, oh, he he got every bit of his backside and body on on the concrete. It, Justin, if I could show this of how the the dugout is designed in in Norfolk, it literally it's such a big drop off, and it's so it's such a big dugout too, and there's a giant staircase that leads up, so you can't even run across. So that's where he went to the one spot where there was no rubber down on the dugout, and he landed right there. Whammy. He made the play, though, I think. So, wow. you know, and then he's back in the lineup. He, he was fine. You know, he needed to, you know, it's called tough love. You know, he needed to, you know, figure it out. He might have been milking it. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. He did, I, I, uh, I drove him back, you know, and he claimed he was hurt, which – and, and we didn't go to dinner then because he needed to rest, but, you know. <laughs> I, think his, I think his ego is probably bruised more than anything else. <laughs> oh, gosh, man. That, I, I will say, on the base, I said it before, but on the baseball field, that was, that was one of those moments where it's just, it's the talk about foreshadowing of just. Call it. You called your shot. Full, no, he called his shot. Oh, he called his shot. <laughs> he called his shot, but I wasn't wrong. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to catch you. Let's just make that clear. And uh, he did it. He had the audacity to make a hell of a play. So, Gav, love That's, you, man. You're a good kid. He's a, he's a very good kid. Uh, what a way What a way to set up an interview. Uh, Ryan, thank you for everything for 2023. Looking forward to 2024. Uh, it's, been, it's been a hell of a ride. So, uh, appreciate your time as always. And uh, let's let's end 2023 on a fun note. Let's send it over to our my conversation with Chicago White Sox outfielder Gavin Sheets. Enjoy. All right, we are now joined by a very special guest, Gavin Sheets of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much for taking some time. The holidays are almost here, but I really appreciate it. How are you doing? Absolutely, good to be on. Uh, I'm doing well, enjoying the off season. Um, you know, just preparing for the the cold weather that's coming our way right now, but. No, this is always a fun time of year, obviously, with the, the holidays coming up and, um, you know, being with the family and, and enjoying all that with the, the offseason as well. I dig it. Uh, so I wanted to start. Uh, I want to start actually with our mutual friend, Ryan Ripken, the GOAT. Uh, I know you guys know each other very well for a long time. I'm wondering, though, I want to take it way back. Like When when did you and Rye Guy first, first meet? Um, I mean, we go back probably before I can even remember. I mean, I, I was – Obviously, my dad and Cow are extremely close um, roommates up through all the way up through the big leagues and, and are still very close to this day. So, um, you know, Ryan being two or three years older than me, I, I, I probably knew him before I even knew that I knew him. Um, and then we went to the same school. We went to Gilman together and um, he, he always loved to love to be the big brother at school. So, yeah, we go we go way back and um, are still extremely. He was he was one of uh, my groomsmen in my wedding last year and uh, still extremely close. I love that. What what was high school like? Middle school, high school, Ryan like? I think was he like super skinny? Is like <laughs> super skinny. Uh, never on time for anything. You know, I had a. I'll never forget. I had a classroom that was um, overlooking the the parking lot, and I could see him coming up every day. About halfway through, if not at the end of the first period, every single day late to school. So uh, that was him. He he was he was never on time to anything. Never on time to practice, but. Um, a great competitor. He was, you know, him, we, it was fun being playing basketball and baseball with him. You know, a lot of people don't realize how good of a basketball player he was. 
um, you know, still to this day, he's a huge pickup player and you get him on the court. It's a, it's a whole different animal. Well, you guys both are super tall, aren't you? Aren't you both like six, five, six, four, something like that? Yeah. Like, he's that's... probably got me. He's probably six, six. So he's probably got me by two inches. Um, he's a, he's, he's a big dude. So, um, that height and he could shoot and he, he didn't really have a, there was no stopping him with his range. I mean, he'd back up to half court almost when he was feeling it. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was quite the player that that no one no one really knows about. I love that. I'll have to ask about that. Yeah. Um you you mentioned this, but like the common connection between you and him obviously is like your dad, so they both played in the Orioles together. Um, what was it like having somebody like Ryan who like you could have that same kind of shared experience with? Yeah, you know, obviously um he he we both had the pressure um of our parents playing, but Obviously, his was a little bit greater than mine, um, you know, being the son of Cal. But, you know, I could go to him for a lot of things. And, and that's one of the biggest things I respect about him is, is the way he handled it growing up. I mean, there was there was a lot of pressure on him. Um, but, you know, in being in this Baltimore area, too, at Gilman, um, you know, I don't think it was fair the way he was he was treated. Um, it was almost like, you know, people treated it like a curse to him that, oh, your you're, you're father's Cal. So, um, you know, if you go for three today you're terrible. You're, you're a disgrace to your fan. It's like, you know, seeing him go through some of the things that he had to go through just for being the son of, of, um, you know, a great player, you know, I, I didn't think it was fair. And so it was tough at times being as close as I was with him to watch, you know, some of the, the stuff he had to go through, especially in the Baltimore area, but, um, you know, being able to watch it and see the way he handled it, that was, that was huge for me. Um, you know, it, it definitely shaped, shaped me and helped me handle, you know, different adversity through, you know, dealing with the same things, um, just not to the, as, as great of an extent, but, um, yeah, definitely, definitely learned from him in a lot of ways. Especially at a young age too. Right. Cause like it's, it's very like your formulative years are just like spent, like in his case, obviously under like a more intense spotlight, but yeah, I can't imagine just the scrutiny of like playing the game that your dad did at, like they did at such a high level. And then there's yeah. you that's like, was that, was that hard? Obviously it was, but like, what can you kind of put into words, like how difficult that was? Yeah, it was tough, just the expectations. Um, you know, I was I was an okay player at ninth and 10th grade. Um, so like trying to trying to make my mold myself as an athlete while doing it with the expectations of, okay, your dad's a major league baseball player. Well, just because he's a major league baseball player doesn't mean that, you know, I'm just naturally going to be able to hit the ball farther, hit the ball harder or, or do any of that stuff. I mean, that's it's not just a guarantee. You know? So there's, there's so much work and stuff that has to go behind it. And, and just the process of, of becoming an athlete and, and going through your growing pains and, um, you know, learning how to compete and, and become an athlete. And, and so, you know, people just automatically assume, oh, you know, it, it's so much easier for him because his dad was a major league baseball player. Of course, he's going to be, you know, a baseball player. And it's, um, you know, some of that stuff's funny to me to listen to. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was watching this stuff with this weekend with with Charlie Woods, and you know the expectations for him. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, and I, I fall I fall into it as well. Like I expect I expect Charlie to win win the Masters by twenty thirty and and do all this stuff, and um, you know just because we fall in love with with their dads. Um, but yeah, it's tough, but it's it's also uh, it's also fun. I mean, you, you get to you deal with them and and embrace them, and um, yeah. Charlie and his dad have like the same exact like swing and mannerisms. I'm wondering if that kind of got like passed down between you and your dad. Like, do you like, is your swing the same as his? Like, are there things he did that you do? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Um, you go back and look at, 
you know, some of his baseball cards and some of my baseball cards. There's so many different mannerisms that we had the same and um, moves in our swing and, um, you know, some d- different setups is not as, as identical as, as Charlie and Tiger are, but um, so many similarities and so many different same mannerisms. And so it's, uh, it's funny to, to see that and, and look at, you know, young pictures of him. And um, I just don't have the mustache he rocked when he played. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Although I was looking, I was going to ask this later, but like the Chicago White Sox, I'm jumping around a lot, but like the Chicago White Sox just seem like they have the mustache thing figured out. There's like yeah. half a dozen guys I feel like on the team with a stash have, can you just not grow one? Is that just like a conscious uh, decision? I just can't, you know, when you're competing with some of the guys that are, that are rocking them on there, um, you know, when we had Rodon, Rodon rocked one. And then um, obviously Berger and, and Cease, they, they, they fed off each other last year. It was <laughs> cease, cease the way he feeds off that and embrace that has, has been funny. Um, so yeah, it just, it caught on and, and those guys rolled with it and, and I couldn't even compete with what they were rocking. So I just decided to, to <laughs> let them do that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Dylan ceases is my favorite. I mean, that's just oh like, that's the coolest, like respect to anybody up. that can rock it. Yeah. 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 He's, he's fully embraced it and, and he's the perfect guy to, to rock something like that. So, um, yeah, I was, I was all for it. Just, just not for me. <laughs> um, going back to your dad though, I, I think he was your baseball coach in high school too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. What? Okay. So that's a whole different thing. Like being the coach's son, not only the coach's son, but the son of a guy that played in the major leagues. Like what was, what was his coaching style? Was it like, did he try to not, not play favorites? Like how, how did that work? Yeah. So I'd say in the beginning it was, it was, um, you know, he, he made me do everything to get on the field and almost to the point where like we would butt heads all the time. Um, you know, he, he, he tried so hard not to play favorites and, and play like, you know, daddy ball and all that stuff. I mean, you know, I was, it finally got to the point where he, he told me afterwards, I obviously didn't know at the time I was just playing to play whatever, but you know, coaches had to come to him and say, Hey, we need to play him more. Like <laughs> it's okay. He's earned the right to play. You can, you can put him in the lineup more. No one's going to, it's, we're all for it. Like, so he, he, he definitely, um, which I appreciated, you know, he made me earn it, you know, nothing was, nothing was given. Um, and, and I really, you know, him and I, our relationship grew even stronger when he was, um, the coach, you know, we had a great relationship from that and, um, yeah, we just had a ton of respect for each other and, and we're kind of put the, you know, father, son aside when we we're on the field and, and in practice and, um, yeah, it was great. Just like tough coaching in general, not just like from him, but just like throughout your career, were you somebody that like, do you respond well to that kind of coaching style? Or like, do you, were you the kind of person that like, you kind of need to be, you know, kicked along a little bit? Yeah, I loved uh, the the tough, the tough was how I kind of grew up. You know, my dad was always tough. It was, you know, and I just feel like when you're coached that way, you know, positive, you know, saying good job or, or, or saying, you know, this positive stuff means more that way. Um, I feel like it's actually when you know, you know, to get a positive remar- remark or a good game from him, that that meant so much more than someone that would just say it every day, every day, like, oh, good record. And it, I just feel like it loses meaning. Um, so having him, that was very tough. And um, But when you heard a good game or a good at bat or something like that, it just meant so much more. And so that, that was how I was raised. And, you know, I, I love that side of it. I, I think that um, – you know, it's, it's getting tougher and tougher. I talk to our college coach all the time. It's just getting tougher and tougher because I feel like, you know, that side of coaching is getting pushed out a little bit too much right now. And it's too much of just, you know, good job, good at bad, good. Everything's good. Everything's good. And 
you know, and you see, you know, see guys get some criticism and there's pushback just because they don't know how to handle it as well. I, that's a great point. I've never actually thought of it that way. I've all, I've always thought of it as like the opposite where I'm like, dang, you know, like when I played baseball, I was just like, this guy is all over me. I'm not a fan of this. Like it's, it sucks, but like, yeah, yeah I guess you're right. Like the, like the moments where it's like, Hey man, you, you really did a good job out there after all of that. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually heard anybody articulate it that way, but it makes yeah. so much sense. Mm-hmm. What, what, like, what's like the breakdown of like coaches you've had that have been like hard on you versus like, you know, the opposite. Is it like, is there one more than the other? I just think it's a it's a good mixture to have when, you know, your manager or your head coach or, um, you know, that's I feel like that's the way assistant coaches and head coaches can kind of feed off each other. Um, you know, I think that managers and head coaches can be a lot tougher. And then you have your assistant coaches who are there in the grind every day working with you that, you know, are just more positive. Um, and I think that that creates a really good like Tony La Russa was, you know, obviously a Hall of Fame manager, but he was really good at that. It was. You know, same thing from him when he told you good job or, or good good at bat or something like that. You know, first off, you know it's coming from a Hall of Famer, but second off, it's just you know the way he was. You know, he he made you earn his respect, and um, and so those went a long way hearing that stuff. And so, but you know, your assistant coaches, your hitting coach that you're in there grinding with every day, um, you know, those are your more positive guys, kind of your more mental side of that that builds you up because baseball just continuously breaks you down. Yeah, it's a game of failure. Uh, I, I was doing some reading. You you were the captain in high school and college, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to talk about just like leadership and clubhouse leadership. Like that's all. That's a huge deal. I feel like being captain at like both of those levels. Like, what does it being a leader in a clubhouse? What What does that mean to you? You know, the biggest thing is I think you need to hold yourself to a higher standard. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to gain the respect of others or have other guys listen to you when, you know, you're not doing things the right way. And I think that's the, the number one thing. I think it's about the way you go about your business, the way you go about your work, um, you know, on and off the field. And you, you can't get guys to follow you if you're not doing things the right way. And so that's, that's kind of the way that I've always approached it. It's not about, you know, I'm not much of a, a rah-rah guy or, you know, let's, let's have a team meeting or stuff like that. Cause I think that, you know, you guys come in line by the way that, that people go about their work and, you know, they buy in by stuff like that. So um, that's always been the biggest thing for me. You know, I haven't been, you know, I, I can be a vocal guy when I need to be, but I'd just rather, you know, have guys follow just the way things are going because, you know, that's, it's, you know, I go about my business the right way. I like that. Yeah. Lead by example. I feel like that's probably like one of the more effective ways. Yeah. Um, as you advanced up the ranks, like you're going through the minors, you're in the big leagues, like, were there guys that like you look to for advice or like were good in those kind of roles where it's like lead by example, this is the tone we're set in? Yeah, I think the the, the best player I've ever played with that led by example was Jose Abreu. Um, you know, I came up and even before I got to the big leagues, you just you would get invited to big league spring training or you'd come up and um, you, you just watch the way he went about his business. And obviously, you know, you see a MVP type MVP caliber player that, you know, is just the first one in there and you hear all the time, the first one in last one out, but it's, and then when you actually see it and it's not just a, always oh, the first one in last one out, it's just a, a saying and you see what it looks like and what it means. And, um, you know, he was the farthest thing from a vocal leader and, you know, there's a little bit of a language barrier, but he just didn't care to, to speak, you know, he didn't. And that was perfectly fine. Um, you know, the way he went about his business and the way he handled the day-to-day grind and, um, 
it was incredible. And, and I still talk about it. We still talk about it all the time. And I think that, you know, we lost some of that this year. And, um, but, you know, obviously seeing him with Houston having success and, um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see, see the way he went about his business. I like that. You always hear about like the veteran leadership, like the rookies, the veteran, like that dynamic, but like as somebody who's never been in that kind of locker room or seen that up close, like, can you kind of describe from like what you've seen, like how common is it? So when you hear like this guy is a great clubhouse presence, a great clubhouse leader talking about like the, the veteran guys, like what does that practically look like? Are there, are there instances where young guys are coming up the you know, older players and like asking for advice or they're like, are they seeking it out? Like what, what does that look like in practice? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is when you first get up to the big leagues, you just kind of sit back and watch a little bit. You, it, it's one of those things like seen and not heard. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do as a rookie is come up and be, you know, loud and, and obnoxious. And, and so, you know, what I did is I just came up and, and watched guys, you know, how does, how does Lance Lynn go about his business? How does Tim Anderson go about his business? What does Jose Abreu do? And, and, you know, you just, you start to see the similarities between all these great players. And then next thing you know, is you, you start to work as hard as them, or you try to keep up with them. And, you know, if this guy's doing this, I want to be doing this too. And, um, you know, vet, veterans are hard at first, you know, they, and, and I think it's on purpose. You know, they, they, they want to see what you're all about. They want to see what, how you go about your business. They want to see, does he run his mouth? Um, and then when they, when they can kind of get a grasp for you, then they start to, you know, talk to you a little bit and then they start to work in and, um, and then you build some really, really great relationships. Um, so that's the biggest thing is about veterans. I, I think that they like to, you know, kind of, sit back and feel you out a little bit, um, be tough on you, just kind of give you like the cold shoulder a little bit and see how you handle it. And, um, which I, which I think is, is awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a so much, it's a, such a fun side of the clubhouse and how baseball works. And, um, you know, obviously younger guys are coming up, you know, it's getting younger and younger in baseball. And I think being a veteran is getting harder and harder because, you know, there's a lot of money thrown around to young guys. And so, you know, it's tough being a veteran who's, who's making less than a guy that's, coming up as a rookie. Um, so I don't want to, I'll never want to see that side of the game go away because I think it's crucial to every winning team. You know, if you don't have that, it's, I don't care what your talent is. I think it's nearly impossible to be a winning team. I like that. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I think I've been an Orioles fan. So like, I'm thinking about like this past year where it's like their, their whole roster is feels like they're 24 years old. Then you have guys like Kyle Gibson and Frazier and McCann and like these guys that are in their thirties yeah. and have some dirt in their spikes. And it's like, yeah, I feel like you you kind of need those guys. The other thing I'm curious about too is just like clubhouse chemistry and, and I guess just like vibes in general. Are there guys that like go out of their way to be in charge of like, you know, making sure making sure everybody's loose, having a good time? Like, it, is there a role for guys like that? And, and how have you kind of seen that play out in your career? For sure, I think that's just as important. You know, the last thing you can let happen is is baseball to be the end all be all in the clubhouse. You know, there's got to be fantasy football. There's got to be you know, team dress ups, rookie dress ups. I mean, this is, if not, you're just going to get, you know, caught up in what's my batting average. I'm in a slump. This is miserable. We just lost the last five of six. Like, you know, there's, you play 162 games. If all you're focused on when you get to the clubhouse is that game that night, or um, you're going to get miserable. And, you know, road trips are fun. And, um, you know, guys took charge for us. Like Lance Lynn took charge of, you know, the fantasy footballs, the, the team outings, the, you know, um, so that, that was, that's a side of it. That's crucial. Um, you know, not just the baseball side of it, but veterans taking over and, and keeping the team together on and off the field. I like the team dinner aspect. Uh, I've asked a couple guys about this, but like, 
on the White Sox, is there like is there like a de facto guy that like picks up the tab? Is there like do the rookies just like get hazed sometimes? It's like, oh, by the way, here's twelve thousand dollars. You need to get no, that. No, we, like, we never did the rookie dinner. Thank goodness. Um, you know, we always had guys like Keiko was great about that. Lance Lynn, um, Grendel. We had we had the veteran guys that would always step up and 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 help out with that. Um, but those are some of the best nights. You know, you go out on the road trip and um, none of your families make it, so you guys are just all there together and you, you go out for a team dinner and. You know, those are some of the best memories that you have. It's it's not just the memories on the field, but it's stuff like that that you go and, and do as a team. And, um, you know, the conversations and the camaraderie that goes on there is, is second to none. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bass podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. I love that. Yeah, you're right. That's that's what that, It doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, just like making sure everybody's like in a good headspace, positive vibes, positive energy. Like, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I wanted to shift gears just a little bit because – uh, we're both Maryland guys. I'm from the Eastern Shore. You're a Baltimore guy. Uh, I'm wondering, though, like, Orioles fan, I'm assuming, growing up, right? I mean, obviously, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. When when was that moment? When was that first time you remember watching baseball, watching the O's, and you're like, I love this. I love this game. I love uh, – I'm all in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say for me it was it was going to the field with my dad. You know, he was doing stuff – he obviously wasn't playing when I was born. Um but I went to the field with him and when he did signings or, or would go for batting practice and, you know, just being around the guys, being around the clubhouse, um, seeing the way the fans reacted to him, just being in the stadium or doing autograph stuff. That was so cool to me. And, um, you know, I just fell in love with, with everything that came along with the game, you know, just the batting practice, the shagging fly balls, just every little part of it. I loved. And, um, you know, obviously the Orioles got really good when I was, you know, in middle school, high school, when they had Chris Davis and Marquez and Jones and those guys. And, um, you know, so easy to become a fan of them and, you know, getting to go to fan fest with my dad and he was signing that beat, you know, in the back with, with those guys and getting to meet some of them. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really easy to, to fall in love with that team and to fall in love with baseball overall. That's awesome. Yeah, no, like that's, I, I yeah, I did this. I mean, fan fest going to games, it's the best. What, did you have a couple favorite players growing up? I did. Um, so Chris Davis, when he was hitting 30 to 50 homers a year, I mean, <laughs> who didn't love that guy? And, um, you know, Marquez And, yeah, I just that, – that whole team, you know, the, the energy that Adam Jones brought, it, it just – it was a really fun team to watch and a fun team to – you know, I feel like it kind of brought baseball and Baltimore back. You know, obviously they were really good for, you know – before I was around, before I was alive. And then, you know, we had that slow period through 2010. Um, and then it came back. And then it was, you know, Baltimore is a great fan base. It's a great sports city. And, and so, you know, we saw it again this year with them. You know, it was, it was cool to see, you know, them bring this city, get back into into baseball spirit. And, and obviously our season was over, so I was back in Baltimore for their playoffs. And um, the energy was back like I hadn't seen it in a long time. So, that was that was cool to see. Yeah. So, do you stay in Maryland in the off season? Are you like a native, like driver's license Maryland? Are you like a Maryland guy? 
I am. My wife and I just bought a house in, in Hunt Valley. So um, we're about 20 minutes outside of the city and I've got family on the Eastern shore. So I'm always, always down on the Eastern shore. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be here to stay. <laughs> yes. This is, yeah, this is great. This is, uh, okay. So I was, that's my next thing is like, what's, what are your favorite things to do in the area? Are, are you like a golf guy? Do you go to the beach? You go to, go down big, to ocean city, <laughs> big golfer. I don't do beaches. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't care for beaches. I don't care for, it's just boring to me, to be honest with you, unless it's a, a really big group and a fun group, but, um, yeah, I'm a big golfer. I'm a big hunter. Um, do a lot of fishing. So anything outdoors, anything where I'm moving and doing stuff, that's, that's for me. Um, the whole, the beach, the laying on the beach, that is, that is not for me. Um, <laughs> unless there's games going on and we're doing stuff, I'm all for it. But yeah, the, the laying on the beach is, doesn't, doesn't pique my interest very much. That's a good point. Also. Yeah. Also you're just playing baseball when it's like warm outside. So yeah, I'm right. What, what is an off day? Is it like, are you, are you planning off days around golf? Are you like, if you're out on the road somewhere, are there activities that you're like, all right, I have to go try and do this. Oh yeah. We got a group going out for, we got the the first or second tee time for sure. Um, you know, we're hitting the, we're hitting the links and you know, some days in Chicago when it's a nice weather, obviously it's a, a great city. So we'll try to get a boat and go out on the lake, but most of the off days are, are surrounded by golf. So, um, we get about six to eight, eight of us will go out and, and have a great time. I think just most baseball players, they just secretly want to be golfers. I think that like, if oh, I yeah. took a, like a poll, it's probably, most yeah, you find that, that most baseball players want to be golfers and most golfers probably want to be baseball players. So it's a, I think that's a, the two sports that have great relationships. You see a lot of baseball golf tournaments. Um, you know, Whit Merrifield just hosted one in, in Florida. That was really awesome. And, um, I just think it's a, you know, the two sports that the guys on both sides seem to, to relate really well to two sports of failure, um, just hard mental sports. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities and, and there's a reason why there's, there's a lot of great relationships between the two. I like that. If you had to pick, uh, you're going out for a round, you got to pick three other guys to go with you. We'll, we'll say in the baseball community, uh, for current former players, who, who would you want to build your, your tea time, your foursome around? Man, we're saying current and former. Oof. Yeah. Well, Griffey's my guy. I have to go with Ken Griffey Jr. Um, Ted Williams. Oof, one more, probably Derek Jeter. That, I mean, that's... I mean, I'd, so I'd, show, cool. I'd show up for that tea time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't be like Ryan and show up like 30 minutes late? No, I would not. I would, I would be the guy there opening up the clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's I wanted to talk about like playing first base though because I feel like that's kind of like you you grew up playing first base that's like a social position like when you're on first base and you get like a guy are you like a friendly conversationalist at first base or like depends yeah, like on who talk. there um yeah I think it's always weird when you get to first and the first baseman is just like cold shoulder in you it's just so weird I mean that's dead silent yeah it's it's uh it's not how it's supposed to be over there. You know, it's, it's, it's a fraternity when you get to first base, everybody's a baseball player. It's, there's no reason to be, you know, cold shoulder to anybody. Um, but you can pick up pretty quick if the guy's going to talk or not. When you get there, you just give him what's going on, how you doing, whatever. And, uh, you know, some guys are just ready to talk as soon as they get to first base, they're just ready to roll. Like they've, it's, it's almost like they've got their list of questions. They're, they're ready to rock, uh, which is, which is really funny. And there's some guys <laughs> that get there and just kind of stare at you. So it's like, all right, you just kind of feed off what they're <laughs> what they're giving you. That's 
I like that. Yeah, it's like Sean Casey was the mayor. He was just like, he's like, hey man, how's the family? How's everything going? Yeah, yeah, that guy. From what I've heard, he was he was he had the list of stuff ready to go when you got there. <laughs> have you have you been on first base? Because we're we're friends with Nathaniel Lowe on this podcast. When you play Texas, like, have you and Nathaniel ever like? He's a really great one. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he, he's a great one. Big golfer. Uh, he's ready yeah. to talk. You know, he, he's definitely ready to talk when you get there. And um, yeah, it's 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 hilarious. It's funny that the the different guys you get over there and um, yeah, and you know it's funny. You know, going into some games, it's like ah, if I get the first, he's probably not going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh. who, who are your favorite people to get on first base with oh that's tough put me on the spot you know ty france is a great one ty france and i always have good conversations christian walker um mount castle with the orioles we always have we always have great combos uh usually usually it circles back to ryan <laughs> talking about him <laughs> going through the minors or um so yeah, it's it's uh yeah, there are a couple guys that are always a good time when you get the first. Wait, have you been on first base with Mount Castle and Ryan Ripken has come up? No, I wish. Oh the best was when Ryan and I were playing in triple A and, and he was on first base and I would oh we'd have a blast over there. We'd be messing around the whole time and I'm surprised we didn't get yelled at by our coaches. Oh that's right, yeah. Was it Charlotte Knights and the Tides? Yeah, yeah. So we played against each other. And that's when the, the series were six games in a row. So uh, <laughs> we were we were having a blast playing each other and, and messing around. And um, yeah, that was always fun. That's <laughs> also six games in a row is insane. Is that is that normal in the minors? It just started after COVID, and, and it was crazy. You know, it, the fact that tempers didn't flare every single series was was mind blowing. Um, between that and having umpires, the same three umpires for six games in a row was. You know, that's just a recipe for a disaster. Um, but it was it wasn't bad. It made for great travel. You know, we had Mondays off, which was nice. Um, but yeah, it was something new for sure. But you know, travel and, and, and living conditions were were great because of it. That's a great point. Also, it would be funny if like, you know, you you might have slipped up in game one, you might have said something to the umpire, then you just have to deal with him for like a week straight, like that. Yeah, that's a that's a long time. I mean, you got him behind home plate twice, you got yeah, that's a recipe for – I think it should be – you know, I you can do six-game series, but I think the umpire should switch every three just because you get guys behind home plate twice. That's, that's tough. you got to, like, go out of your way and just be, like, super over-the-top nice, I feel like. You just yeah. have to, like, that's show That's the best up. thing about first base is you get the guy the night before he's the home plate guy. So you can always, always suck up to him. That's a great point. You got to. That's a great you point. got to. You got to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw, though – so – playing first base most of the time and then you get to the big league was it when you got to the big leagues you started playing the outfield or did that start in the minors uh it started a little bit in triple a but it i mean that was i got caught up within two months so that was really in the big leagues i i learned it and and played it so that was uh pretty nerve-wracking to say the least yeah talk to me about that because like People, fans just assume that like, oh, he's an athlete. He can, you know, he could seamlessly slide into the outfield, no problem. But like, we've had guys and just like, I think we had Adam Frazier who just like they stuck him in the corner for the first time in the big leagues, and he's like, all right, I guess I'm a right fielder now. Like, yeah. can you talk about like what the process is of trying to learn that the nuances of the position like that? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, you know, it, it's funny because people say, yeah, kind of what you're saying. You know, oh, it's just it's just going to the outfield. Who cares? Like, well. You know, the guys I'm competing with have been playing for the outfield for, you know, 25 years or 26, whatever, their whole life. And it's like, you know, these guys are the best of the best. And I'm going out here for you know, my 
first month in the big leagues. And not only am I nervous as hell being in the big leagues, but, you know, I'm, I'm learning a new position. And, uh, you know, in, in the big leagues, the guys hit the ball harder and farther and you got to get perfect routes. And, you know, um, the stakes are higher. There's 40,000 people instead of 10, five. So, you know, there's so much that goes into it. And, and not to mention we're in Chicago where, you know, it's the Windy City. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's just a, a recipe for a lot of fun when you, <laughs> when you get to the big leagues. And and but, you know, it, it was the way to, to get to the big leagues and stay in the big leagues. So I embraced it. Um, you know, I've had my ups and downs out there, but, you know, embraced it and, and tried to be the, the best out there that I could be. Yeah. Uh, one thing that people have brought up is just like I've, I'll never understand. It's just like the backdrops and the, like the way the ball comes off the bat it look it's different obviously in every stadium but like i guess at home it's a little easier cuz you, you kind of know like how the ball will be coming at you but like on the road and like as like a not full-time outfielder was that was that the hardest part like going on the road and you're like there's lights and there's like fifth decks and like w- i imagine that had to be like insane trying to navigate that yeah it's crazy cuz you think about football or basketball i mean no matter where you go the dimensions are the same on the court on the field you know it's hundred yards, it's 50 yards wide, whatever it is. So it's like, you know what you're going to get every time, but every stadium you go to, you got Fenway with the pesky pole and the low wall and then juts out and you got, you know, Kansas city with a huge field and, and, and Baltimore with the short walls and the high wall. So it's like every three days you're, you're finding something completely new. Um, you're learning how to play off the wall. You're learning how the ball flies there. You're learning the different wind patterns. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it that, that I didn't even realize before I got there. Um, and like Chicago and day games, you know, the way the sun glares off the seats, it's almost impossible to see the ball off the bat. So you got to, you know, learn to pick it up, you know, 20 feet off the bat instead of right off the bat. And so it's it's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, I never knew that went into it, but it obviously is a huge part of it. Ooh, here's something. I've always, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this. Uh, sometimes I'll be watching games like during the day. And outfielders will have sunglasses, but they won't have them on. They'll have them on their hat. And then they'll just, like, misplay a ball. And it's like, wow, it would have been nice if you had had sunglasses. What – do you play with sunglasses during the day? And why don't everybody? <laughs> why is I do, but some days the sunglasses make it worse, you know, depending on the glare. Um, some days the sunglasses get filled up with sun, whereas if you take them off, there's just, like, a little beam of sun in your eyes. So – yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, you see that a lot. You see some guys, you know, losing the sun or, or whatnot without their sunglasses on or they're on their hat. And it, it really is because it's easier to see without the sunglasses on. I mean, some days there's so much sun that your whole glasses get filled up and there's just a, a huge glare or um, or like when there's shadows, you know, it's just, yeah, some days that, that you just take them off because you're like, I don't have a great chance either way, but this way seems to be the best right now. Okay. That's fascinating. I I've never, I've never thought of it like that, but I, I guess you're right. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just, that always just makes me mad where he's just like, you know, ball goes off his face or something. And it's like, damn, man, if, if only, if only had something to like block some of that sun out. Right. Yeah. You'd think, <laughs> but no, it's, it's crazy how that works. Just, you know, some days that, I mean, a lot of times when the ball gets in the middle of the sun, it doesn't matter, you know, what you have. You just, it's a, it's a helpless feeling. You, the ball is gone. And you just hope it comes back before it hits you in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always unfortunate whenever you see a ball just go off somebody's dome. Um, is there is there like a like a piece of advice that like a coach gave you or an outfield coach gave you that like has stuck with you or like what's some of the best things that people have told you about playing the outfield that have kind of resonated? 
biggest thing was if you're going to mess up, mess up, you know, a hundred percent, just go for it. You know, it's, it's don't, don't play timid. Don't be 50, 50. Um, you know, when you make a read, go for it, be a hundred percent on that read. Um, and, and that's when I feel like I started to, to play a better outfield. It was when I was 50, 50, like, you know, it, it was too much of, you know, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up. And then next thing you know, you're, you're making delayed reads. You're not making good jumps. Um, and so the biggest thing was, Hey, if you're going to mess up, mess up a hundred percent. Like if you're going to come in on a ball, because you think that's the right read, come in. Like, you can figure it out. You come in, you can get back, whatever. But, you know, don't be 50-50 and not be able to get to ball in or back. And so that was the biggest thing. It kind of freed me up a little bit. It was like, all right, you know what? Like, just go for it. You know, go with your instinct. Put in the work. Put in the, the extra work. And, and you know, when you get in the game, just go for it. You know, if you think it's going to be it, if you think the ball's jammed or whatever, come in. Um, and so that kind of freed me up a little bit. But – you know, it was just nice to be like, all right, you know, this is kind of the free reigns to, to go for it. And so that helped a lot. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that's, that's that's great advice. I had another kind of like, I don't know, kind of dumb question. Um, I, I was going back and I was watching some of your old like highlights in your clips. And it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you used to have a one-handed finish on your swing. Or you used to have a two-handed finish. Now you had a one-handed finish. Is there a difference between the two? Or does it really not do anything? Um, I think it depends on the pitch. Depends on you know, how you're feeling in that given week. Like I, I, I prefer to have two hands for the most part. Um, I, I think that sometimes you need the extension of a one hand finish or, you know, you see a lot of breaking balls or, or changeups that you catch out front that you have to ride with one hand going off out. Um, yeah. So that's a big, that's a big thing of it. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I don't think one's better than the other, but I think that the kind of the pitch and the sequence and all that stuff will, will kind of decide how you need to finish to, to have the best outcome. Okay. I've never actually known that. That's great. Because some you think of some guys that are like Mike Trout, always two hands. And mm-hmm. then you think of other guys where it's like you got the Ken Griffey, you're kind of pimping it a little bit and you drop the bat with one. It's like sure. I never I've never actually known if there was a, like a reason why people did that. Yeah. No, those are guys are, are two pretty good players and they had different finishes. So um yeah, I don't think one's better than the other. I think you know, some guys will swear by one, swear by the other, but um no, I think that if you need to, sometimes you need that extra extension. So you go out one hand if you're full a little bit, but you know, you can still, still homer on that. So, um, yeah. How long did it take you to like, are you constantly tweaking your swing or do you have like one set one that like, it's been your tried and true for so long? Yeah, that's, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, the, the ideal answer is, yeah, I've got one swing and I stick with it day in and day out, but no, I think, you know, I, I fell into a little bit this year that, you know, I was tinkering too much. And I think that was, um, you know, that's a tough place to be. I, I think that when you get back to, that's what I've been focused on this off season is getting back to just one swing, you know, that you can just trust at all times, you know, and the good, the bad times, you know, that, that one swing works. And, um, you know, I think the less tinkering, the better. And so that's something I've worked on a lot this off season to try to get something that I'm fully a hundred percent bought into, bought into, you know, the confidence behind it. Um, you know, I think when guys are going really well, they would say, yeah, I got one swing and, you know, good, bad, and different. It's, it's what I go with. Um, and I think when guys are struggling, they say, yeah, I'm still looking for that one swing. So, um, you know, that's just, that's, that's the way the game, um, it's the way baseball works. Unfortunately, it's the, the mental side that just drives you nuts, but you know, it, it's, it's what we love about it. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, trying to get back to just that, that one swing that you're fully confident with. I feel like in the off season too, I see a lot of guys, they, they, they go to these like high tech facilities. You have all like little patches and you have the slow motion cameras. Like, are you somebody that, do, 
is that something you work on in the off season where it's like you have all the analytics, the data, the numbers, and you're like trying to examine every little part of your game? Is that is that what's going on? In the a little bit. You know, I've I've dove into it a little bit more this off season, um, trying to get you know where the numbers can back what you feel because I think that's important when you get into the season. You're like, well, I know that this works. You know, getting back to that one swing, it's like numbers say that this one's the best one. Numbers say that this works and it feels the best. So you know, to kind of match up the two things. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a give and take with it. You know, I think there's a, a line that you shouldn't cross in terms of becoming too analytic or becoming, you know, too old school. And so I think that we've got too much data, too much, you know, numbers nowadays to help you that it's kind of crazy to, to not dive into it. But, you know, I've also seen guys that dive into it way too much and, and forget even how mechanics or how their body works because there are just so many numbers are flying through their head. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're competing against the pitcher and it's, it's a full on competition. So, you know, whatever gets you right, you know, through batting practice, but once you get in that game, it's, it's just a full on chess match with the pitcher. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's at the end of the day, what you have to remember. Are you like an iPad in between at bats guy, or you just go up there or like, you're just more of a based off feel. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've become more of an iPad guy, um, just to see sequences and, and, where the locations were and, you know, was the catcher actually set up in when the pitch was in or was he set up away and the guy missed? Cause you know, I think that's a big part of it too, but um, you know, we didn't have that in the minor leagues. So, you know, I, I didn't come up using that. So some said so there are some times where, you know, I probably need to put the iPad away a little bit more and just go in there and compete. Like I said, um, because it, there's so much data and numbers and everything in baseball nowadays that, you know, you have to be able to to kind of give and take what what you actually need versus what is just too much. Oh yeah, no, I would I would be like I would just be in the iPad. I would be looking at all the weird numbers and stats and just completely forgot how I got to the big leagues in the first place. Just exactly. like, like I feel like that's that's probably so easy for guys to do. Where it's just like, all right, well I have to go. It's not going to sleep tonight. Just going to go look at the iPad, and it's right. just like that's probably not conducive to being successful. Right. You never had it until you got to the big leagues. So it's like all new information to you. It's all this stuff. And you're like, man, I don't even know how I did this. I don't even know how I got here with all, without this stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely need to remember how you got there and, and what you did before getting to the big leagues. The last thing you want to do is, is change up everything when you get there. Yeah. Uh, I had a question about the off season. How locked in are you all with like around baseball, not just like White Sox news, but just like news in general? Are you somebody that like has MLB network on or are you trying to like tune it out and just trying to like focus on your stuff? I don't have MLB. I can, I can say that I, uh, better chance of having golf channel on than MLB network, but yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, I pay attention to some things that happen, moves that happen. Um, you know, I don't go full, you know, dark mode from baseball. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of noise and a lot of media and, 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 you know, I, I try to stay out of all that. Um, you know, I, I try to stay out of the, the negative news, the, you know, the Twitter, the all that stuff. Um, you know, I go about my business, get ready for the next season and and go out and get focused on what I want to accomplish. And, you know, I think and I know guys that are obsessed with it, want to see everything, want to have, you know, have MLB network running all day, especially through winter meetings and and all that stuff, which, you know, I, I, I don't knock it, um, you know, check Twitter every day for what's going on. But. That's, that's not for me. There's, there's too much negativity going around in that, that, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to fill, fill my mind with that stuff. So um, yeah, I go about my business, get ready to go for the season and, and get ready to attack on another season. That's such like, that's like a healthy, like positive, upbeat, 
Yeah, you're right. Because if you just live on Twitter right now, you're just refreshing and you're like, you have beat reporters with like incorrect reports and you have yeah. my sources are telling me this guy is headed here when he's actually not going. It's just, it's yeah, a wild time. I should be in Toronto right now if this, if all that stuff was true. I mean, it's. Yes. There's, there's too much stuff. Everybody wants to be the first one to report things. Um, you know, there's, there's too many people that have voices on there that are, you know, trashing players and um yeah I'm, I'm not here for it you know unless unless you're on the field going about it with everybody else and, and grinding with all the other guys you know it's it's too hard of a sport to to step behind you know twitter keys and, and write whatever you want i think you gotta you got that down pat uh although shohei otani what was your reaction when you heard 700 it, it was you know that's that's a number that i can't even fathom um but if, if anybody's going to get it, it's going to be that guy. I mean, he's he's a top five hitter and he's a top five pitcher. And so he's getting paid for it. And not to mention the market that he brings and and the money that he'll bring in for the Dodgers. I mean, they, they'll, they'll make it back within I, – I don't want to put it – I imagine four or five years they'll make that money back just with his name and, and, and you know, having the um, Japanese market and, and all that stuff that comes with it. I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable player, unbelievable talent, but to have – Betts, Freeman, and Otani in the same lineup, and it's not an all-star game. Um, that's that's tough. And they just added glass now right on top of it. So um, they're, they are uh, loading up. I'm happy they're in the NL. <laughs> what What's it like playing Otani? Because I imagine Angels, White Sox played a ton. Like, what, what's it like playing against Shohei? It, it's special. Um, you know, against us, he went seven or eight innings, hit two home runs um, in the same game. And it's just like – you know, you're on the field with it. And you're just, you just kind of take it in. It's like, this is, this is not normal. Um, and it's kind of frustrating too. It's like, man, we're, you know, this guy is, is a top five player at pitching and hitting at the same time. He just hit two home runs and he struck me out in the same game. You know what? <laughs> this, this guy's got to pick one. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, so, but it, you just understand what you're, what you're witnessing. And it's something that, that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. And um, he's doing it at a level that, that is incredible to watch. No doubt. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is special to watch. It's primetime TV every time he's up. Uh, right. Okay. I said a couple of last fun kind of rapid fire ish questions for you. Thank you so much for your time, by the way, Gavin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw, I don't know if I saw it on your Instagram or your Twitter, but like, do you have a, a sheet sponsorship or, or do you have like a brand yeah. deal with? Yeah. Sheets, sheets and giggles. Um, yeah. Actually, when I, I got my new house, they, they set us up with, with all of our stuff for our mattresses and, and, and we're ready to rock. So, um, yeah, I can't beat them Their Their stuff's awesome, but yeah, it was a pretty funny, pretty funny partnership that we, we put together and, um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun with that. I mean, it goes hand in hand. My question though, is how often do you wash your sheets? <laughs> yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> I stay away from that. Um, uh, I'd like to say, oh, shoot, I don't even know. I don't even want to throw out a number because you know, it, it could be less or it could be more. And uh, yeah, but no, she's, she's on, she's on top of that. Thank goodness. Cause if I was doing it, it would be, it would be a bad answer. <laughs> Might lose the sheet sponsorship. If yeah, if it doesn't yeah. go well. Seriously. Was there, was there a time in college where it was like, were you pushing a month? Like what? Cause every, no dude in college washes their sheets. Like that's just not what we do. But like, was it bad at, at one point? For sure, especially in season, you know, you're just traveling, you're all this stuff, you're just locked into everything. But, you know, 
doing laundry. And so, um, yeah, honestly, it was probably my wife that that did it in college for me too. My junior, we (laughs) we did, we were dating in college. So, um, she, she probably, she probably was the one to answer that one too. (laughs) Hey, shout out your wife. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. She holds it down. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. Um, the white Sox, they have one of my favorite city connect uniforms. I think it's one of the best in baseball. I'm wondering where it ranks for you. And have you seen any other like city connect or like alternate uniforms? You're like, damn, that's cool. I I think it's the best personally. Um, especially when it first came out, you know, obviously there's a lot more that are out now, but you know, when it first came out and still, I, I think it's the best. Um, I really like, uh, San Diego's is cool. You know, throws in that kind of, um, the San Diego beach vibe, the, the, it's got all the colors rocking and, um, you know, anytime Machado and Tatis and those guys can throw on some cool cleats, you know, they're, they're always on top of it. So, um, yeah, those are, those are cool as well, but I, I love our South side jerseys. I, I think they were awesome. I thought they were a, a great thing. And, you know, it's something that, you know, playing for the White Sox, we embrace is the South side, you know, it's, it's the North side's the Cub and we're the South side. It's just a, it's a different, different vibe. It's, um, and I think our jerseys are, are awesome for that. They're so cool. Yeah. With the matching pants too. That That's such a cool look. Yeah. Um, throughout your big league career, what is your most memorable at bat? Mm. Probably the playoffs, home run in the playoffs. Um, you know, just getting the playoffs my rookie year and being a part of that and seeing that atmosphere and, you know, bringing it to the fan base that, that hadn't had it in a couple of years. Um, that was, I mean, that there wasn't a, a fan base that I thought was louder in the playoffs in, you know, that I, that I played at any time. And even, you know, we got some guys from the Astros came over to Kendall Graveman came over and they played in the world series that year. And they said, no place was louder than, than Chicago. Um, so that was, that was incredible. Obviously, you know, first at bat back in Camden Yards and, and some of those were, were special. Um, but playoffs is just, a, it's a different beast. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different feeling. Um, you know, I remember just getting back after those games, just being mentally exhausted because you're just in every pitch, every moment, you know, you don't know what is going to be the game changer. And so that was, that was pretty awesome being a part of that. I love that. Uh, all right. A couple last ones. Have you ever been starstruck or maybe that's a bad word. You're just like, maybe you met somebody that you always looked up to and you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. Pool holes, meeting pool holes. I, I wasn't even in the big leagues yet. I was in um, spring training. I was playing first base and he got to first base and it was, you know, one of my first big league spring training starts ever was trout Otani pools. And it's like, you know, what, what's going on here? So um, yeah, w- when he got to first, that was pretty special. I, I think that people forget how special a talent he was, um, you know, in his first 10 years. I mean, he was unbelievable. If you look at his numbers and break him down with any of these guys nowadays, it's, it's incredible. I love that. Uh, the White Sox announcer, uh, Jason Benetti, everybody that I've known that like has met Jason Benetti has like, has nothing but kind things to say about him. They said he's like one of the nicest people ever. I'm wondering like what your interactions with him have been like, and like, what, what can you like, tell me about what it's like to hang out with Jason Benetti? One of my favorite guys ever. Um, first of all, I think he's, I, I think he's one of the best in baseball, if not the best, um, you know, he's, he's fantastic. He's a, he's an unbelievable human. Um, you know, he's, I think he's a fair commentator um and you know it, it was really tough to see him go because you know usually those usually you don't 
you know, interact with media and, and commentators and that stuff. But, but when Jason came in the clubhouse, I mean, everybody called, everybody wanted to talk college football with him because he obviously does Fox on college and basketball and just, just an unbelievable guy. And, and I, I would say, you know, one of the guys that, that players truly respected and, and wanted to be around. I love that. Yeah. His, his Fox college football stuff is just like, he's just got like a great voice. I don't know. There's just something about turning on a game and it's like, hi, I'm Jason, but it's like, damn, this could be a good game. Yep. Yep. No doubt. It's the best. Okay. Last question. I always like to end with this one out of every, like could be life, baseball, whatever. Like what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. Um, probably when my dad said, just never change who you are, you know, no matter where you, you got to the big leagues, don't change the person you are. Don't change who you are. Don't change, you know, anything about you. Um, you know, don't let the situation change the person you are. And I, I think that was the biggest thing. You know, obviously, when you get to the big leagues, everything, everything changes. You know, your lifestyle changes, your your platform changes, everything changes. But you know, um, you can't change the person. And so I think that was the the biggest thing, and um, something that I hold true to to this day, three years in. I love that. Dude, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and giving me an, an hour of your time during the all season. Absolutely. It really means a lot. We're, we're a Gavin Sheets podcast now. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate we'll, that. We'll be we'll be rooting for you in the in the, in the shy socks there. Uh, but yeah, best of luck this upcoming season. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Anytime. I appreciate it. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Son